0: Once again, I trust you had uh, a good celebration, maybe time with family, maybe time to relax or maybe not, maybe uh, you just really missed those few extra hours of sleep on New Year's Eve. I don't know, but uh, we're glad you're here today. Thank you for being with us and uh, we are going to be in the book of Proverbs uh, today. So if you want to uh, open your Bible to Proverbs 29, we're going to spend a little bit of time there. It's only one verse. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, and then we're going to spend uh, more time than that looking at Second uh, Kings chapter twenty three and a little bit in twenty two also. But uh, go ahead and turn to Proverbs twenty nine if you would. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this first Sunday of the new year. We thank you that we can do so. We thank you that we get to come into your presence and talk to you. We get to bring our requests before you and you care. We thank you that we get to do so together. That as this local expression of the body of Christ, we get to join in prayer together and and seek you. And we do that this morning. At the beginning of this new year, we turn our hearts to you and Ask that you would be at work in our lives. We ask that you would show yourself strong on our behalf. We ask that you would draw our hearts, our minds to you, that you would so work in us that we would desire more and more to be obedient to you, to love you practically in our lives. By submitting to you. And so this first Sunday of the year, we, we do so even now. We submit ourselves to you. We submit this morning to you. This time that we have been able to join together and sing together and fellowship with one another. We have prayed together. We've, we've offered you some of the money that you have given us. We devote this time to you. And now, as we open your word, as we turn to what you have here, Father, we ask that You would bless our time. We ask that our minds and our hearts would be turned to You, that that You would cause us to be receptive to what You have for us from Your Word. Father, we don't take Your Word for granted. We thank You that You've given it to us, and we thank You that we live in a time where we can choose our uh, translation. If we, if we don't want to use a translation, we can go and learn Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and we can study your word in the original languages. We can do so on our computers and on our phones. We can have our, our phones read it to us. We, we have a selection. We have a, a, a wealth of access to your word. Father, I pray that the result would be great change in your people, because of the presence of your word, because of the great access, the wealth that we do have. And so this morning, we we commit ourselves and we commit this time and ask that you would be at work as we open your word even this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So it's the year 2020, and... Uh, causes us to think about vision and what our vision is like. And I'm to the point now where I actually do have my readers in here just in case I need them because I'll be reading a long passage and it's possible that I will need them. So I brought them. My vision is no longer what it used to be. Uh, And so some of you can relate to that. Some of you just wait. (laughs) Your time is coming. Okay. Okay. But it's 2020, and it's, uh, it's time to think about vision. It's a new year, and so this passage came to mind. And um, we're going to talk about this passage. As, as I said, we're also going to talk about Second Kings 22 and 23. But basically, the topic for our discussion today is, is what our vision ought to be, what happens when we lose our vision, and then how we can get it back. And so, we open up here to Proverbs chapter 29. We begin to uh, discuss a couple of different responses to revelation. A couple of different ways that we can respond to the revelation that's there. We see in in, uh, 29.18 of Proverbs, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And the different versions will translate this different ways. By the way, it's very difficult to translate Proverbs because you don't have context like you would normally when you're translating through or working through a passage. You've got the context. Well, Proverbs are sort of, by the nature of what they are, there are a line here and a sentence there, and maybe a couple of them are connected. Maybe they're, they're joined together, but, but there's not much context. And so it's difficult to translate this. And so in the King James, it's translated, where there is no vision... The people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. Or the NIV translates it, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. And so you can see there's a little bit of difficulty in translating this, and the word there, when it says uh, that where there is no vision, really is literally just the word vision, but it it calls to mind the question of what it means. And uh, the ESV tips their hand a little bit when it's uh, when they translate it as the prophetic vision, or the NIV translates it as revelation, and the King James leaves it vague with the word vision. But it's important for us to know because you've probably uh, read devotionals about this. You've you've thought about this verse at times, and you've thought without a vision the people perish. So without A goal in mind, the people perish, or without an idea of where they're headed or or of what's going to be accomplished, the people perish. And that's not the word here. The word here is not a reference to a man's plans or a a group's objectives that they're going to accomplish or the direction that they're heading. The word here is about revelation. It's about a word from God through the prophets. It is indeed prophetic revelation without God speaking to us. There are certain consequences. And so this isn't about us making a plan. This isn't about us uh, putting together a vision for the church, however important that might be. That's not what is being discussed here. This is the idea of the Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and the others, having a vision from God to bring to the people. That's the type of vision that is being discussed here. Well, of course, in the New Testament, we don't have prophets in the same sense as you do in the Old Testament, but we do have the apostles, and it is the apostles' job to bring God's word, to bring the gospel to the whole world. And so we see that this vision is a word from God. It's a, it's a prophetic vision. And I said that this is a kind of a picture of different responses to the word of God, You see, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. That ignorance of God's word, whether it's because the word of God is not available to you, or whether it's because it's available and you ignore it, ignorance of God's word removes restraint. It removes restraint. The first reason there of God not giving his word is is a difficult topic. And I praise God that we don't live in that time. We don't live in that place. We have access to God's word. We have access to revelation, to prophetic vision from God right here in our Bibles. But there was a time for many people, and there's a time even now when people don't have access to God's word. And, uh, and so that ought to motivate us uh, in sending forth missionaries who will take God's word to people. But there have been times and there have been places where God's word is not available. And you look at what the consequences are when that happens. Think about the book of Job real quick. If you've read through the book of Job, you know that in the opening chapters, you have a peek into what's going on in this story about Job and his family. And Job was a righteous man. He was a very blessed man and wealthy and all of that. And there's a discussion between God and Satan having to do with Job, which results in these trials that are so extreme that Job goes through. And, of course, Job doesn't know about that. He has no revelation that that's going on. And, even worse, his friends don't have that revelation. And so as you read through the book of Job, you can see them giving advice to Job. And is it good advice? Well, it kind of sounds good, except that you know the truth. And in light of the truth, it's terrible advice. They don't understand at all because they don't have revelation of what's going on. They don't know what is going on behind the scenes. And even Job himself, who is such a righteous man, as he goes on through the story, having no revelation of the truth of what's going on in the situation, he himself even begins to be embittered against God. He begins to say things about God and about his situation that are not honoring to God. So even Job, the most righteous man in the land, when there is no revelation, he himself loses restraint. He himself loses his way. So that's the first reason. Is sometimes God doesn't give his word. But there are other reasons, other times when the prophetic vision is lacking. And so I want you, uh, if you would, to turn to 2 Kings. And I intended to find the page number in your in your pew Bible there in case you're using the pew Bible. But I did not do so. 2 Kings chapter twenty two. Second Kings twenty two we find another instance here. This is this is not God withholding the word, it's that they have begun to ignore the word. The result is very, very similar. So as we look at this uh, passage in 2 Kings 22, we'll spend most of our time in, in 23, but uh, as we think about this, Josiah was a, he, he became king as a young man, this is pretty uh, far on in uh, the, the kingdom of Judah, and there had been a lot of numerous, numerous, extremely unrighteous kings before him. And so Josiah comes on to the scene, and and a few years into his reign, he decides he's going to rehabilitate the temple. He's going to uh, clean it up. He's going to do some construction and and some things like that. And so as a part of that, we read this in chapter 22, and uh, look at verse 8 with me. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. and Look down at verses 10 and 11. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. You see, the the people of God had ignored God's Word for so long, they have forgotten it. They, they stuck it in storage and forgot about it. And the challenge this morning for some of us is that maybe we have done the same with God's Word. We've stored it. Yeah, you probably have it here with you in front of you because, you know, your neighbor's looking at you and I'm telling you to turn to a certain page. But but very often people will leave on a Sunday, close their Bible, throw it in the back window of their car, and they'll pick it up next week. It's essentially in storage. And that that's what happens in the life of Judah. But Josiah, when he hears the book of the law read to him, he responds by tearing his clothes. It's a sign of of remorse, of, of sorrow, of mourning, of repentance. He tears his clothes. It's like if you've gone a long time without looking in the mirror, maybe you've been camping, maybe you've been uh, out doing something or whatever and and uh, you've gone a few days and you've not looked in the mirror and you come back and look in the mirror and you frighten yourself a little bit by what you see because you haven't been paying attention you've not been looking and seeing you've not been you you don't have an objective standard about how you look and so the solution I'll tell a story of my wife she's not here right now her solution when she went camping as a kid was she she took a mirror about that big and she would hang it from a tree so that she could do her hair and don't tell her I said any of that. I did not clear that with her. So that may have been a mistake. (laughs) But you can see the response. He he responds when he hears the book of the law. He, he sees the condition of uh, his own condition and the condition of his people. And his response is mourning, sorrow. Look with me at chapter 23 and let's see some more of his response. Verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 23, Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant They read it and they responded and they declared that they were going to obey. They were going to uh, respond and do all of the words that were found in this covenant. So I wonder what had been the results in the nation of Judah of them having the book of the law in storage for however long it had been in storage. What were the results in the nation? Of what were they repenting? Well, I'm going to read a long section, verses 4 through 24. That's a long section. And it's going to be startling to you. It's going to be shocking to you, not in its length. But listen to the sins the people had fallen into. Listen to what they had been willing to do. And even in the house of the Lord, they were willing to do these things. Listen to the extent of the sin that they had fallen into as they repent of these things. I read in chapter 23, starting in verse 4, And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron, and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, and the moon, and the constellations, and all the host of the heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it on the brook Kidron, and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. And he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. And the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down and broke in pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high priests that were east of Jerusalem, to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar of Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed who had predicted these things. Then he said, what is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him be, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel, and he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem, and the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant, for no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. That's a long section, and I read it on purpose, because the people had stored God's Word. They had ignored it, and what was the result? Not a little sin, not a little abomination. Did you catch all of what went on? As you're reading through the story of Second Kings, I just recently finished Second Kings in my own personal Bible reading, and as you read through it, you see sin, you read about sin, and you know that there's, there's sin going on in Israel and in Judah, but you don't realize the disgusting extent of the sin that comes from ignoring God's Word. Did you hear, did you catch the abominations that took place, not just Not just in the distant parts, but in Jerusalem itself. And not even just in Jerusalem, but in the house of the Lord, this stuff was going on. That was normal to them. Because they had ignored God's Word. Ignoring God's Word removes restraint. But our verse is not finished back in Proverbs. Twenty nine eighteen, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, that, that part of the verse could have been written about that story of what happened in Jerusalem, what happened in Judah when they forgot about the book of the law, but it, it doesn't end there where the, there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Ignoring God's word removes restraint, removes the protective guidelines, removes the boundaries that are such a blessing, but keeping his word brings blessing. Listen to God's words to Josiah back in 22, 2 Kings 22 and verses 19 and 20. Because your heart, Josiah, was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Keeping God's word brings blessing. Obedience to God's law brings some practical blessings for sure. Honesty and integrity will likely keep you on the right side of the law. Sexual purity, marital faithfulness will likely spare you many kinds of relational hardship. God's law tells us that the way, His law tells us the way we have been designed to live. And so living according to that pattern is just better for us. It's the way we've been made to work. And so there is blessing, practical blessing and practical benefit that comes from obeying God's word. However... The most important benefit that comes from obeying God's word is knowing the blessing of God. Knowing the immediate blessing of God. Obeying God's law brings blessing, it brings his smile. And if you think about that, of course, we rejoice because we love to think about God's smile. We love, to, we, we love to think about God being pleased with us, about us knowing a free relationship with him, about us having blessing from him. But if we think longer about it, it should cause us concern. Obedience to the law brings God's blessing. In the end, that's not good news for us. Because we don't obey his law. We don't keep his law. Fallen man is not able to keep his law, to keep his word. The best efforts that we could make would fall short. Some of us might make a better run than others. And we would have certain benefits that come from that. But as far as being perfectly pleasing to God and receiving His full and free blessing that would come from obeying His law will not be yours as a result of your effort. It's just not possible. The only one who has obeyed perfectly, the only one who has received perfect blessing from perfect obedience to God is Jesus Himself. And so... That's an important thing for us to know when we think about obeying God's word resulting in blessing. We can see benefits, practical benefits in the here and now that come from obeying God's word. But when when we take it to the ultimate level and we think about ultimately what it means to have God's blessing upon us, we cannot obey ourselves to that point. We cannot do the right thing to such a degree that we obtain that. Blessing comes from obedience, and perfect blessing comes from perfect obedience, and we don't have that. Only Jesus has that. But the good news is that his obedience, his perfect record of righteousness, he gives to you by faith. So that when you believe in him, when you put your faith in him, his perfect obedience is credited to your account so that that perfect blessing, that perfect smile of God that shines upon him becomes yours because of what he's done. That's what he gives us in himself, that we receive his perfect obedience, his active and his passive obedience applied to our account. How do do we do that? Well, you receive him by faith. And we still have God's law, and we still have God's law to obey. How do we obey God's law? Do we just try harder? Suddenly, magically, now as Christians, suddenly we can do it and accomplish it? Well, no, we still are fallen people. We still are a sinful people who are finite and don't have the ability to obey God perfectly, don't have the ability to obey God's law as we ought to. But He gives us His Spirit within us. And so how do we obey, Christian? How do we obey God and, and know His smile practically in our lives? We trust Christ and we know His perfect smile in, in a positional sense and we, we respond in obedience as we look to the Holy Spirit. Who empowers us to obey Him. Who empowers us more and more in our own lives, practically, to obey God. To do as He says. We we still don't do so perfectly, but He helps us. We have to look to Him who began a good work in you. Who will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. The author to the Hebrews puts it this way. He says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God where he intercedes for us. So he has given his Holy Spirit who lives within us to help us obey Him. And Jesus Himself is at the right hand of the Father, pleading on our behalf, interceding for us that we might grow in our likeness to Him. And so we obey God by faith in His Son, trusting that He will empower us by His Holy Spirit who lives within us so that we are strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner being. God empowers us to obey Him that we might know that blessing in our lives. Not, not only the positional blessing, which is an enormous thing, that we know the perfect smile of God and we'll know it forever because of what Christ has done, but practically in our lives also as we walk in obedience to Him. And so we read in Proverbs that where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And we, we saw that restraint has been cast off in the story of Josiah, in the story of those people. But I wonder, I wonder, if, if we were to bring the Word of God to bear in our culture today, w- without apology, clearly and into every corner of our culture, what kind of sin do you think would be revealed? Would we be able to write a list as long as the one in chapter 23 of Second Kings? Would our culture be guilty of these things? Absolutely. Absolutely. These sins would be revealed. They would be made known to us if we would preach the Word of God boldly, if we would speak it boldly and clearly in every corner of our culture. My challenge this morning, though, is not as much about the culture as it is about us. Because these were God's people who had put God's Word in storage. These were God's people who had begun to ignore what God said and had followed this pattern of sin that we read about. These were God's people. This wasn't the Assyrians, the Babylonians who were doing these things. And so the question, the challenge for us this morning is for us to bring God's word out of storage for us to receive again and focus again on that prophetic vision that he's given us in his word. And I wonder as we do that, what, what kind of sin would be revealed in our own life? I have no desire to call out people for their sins in our congregation. I have a great desire that I would be submitted to God's word in my own life. That God would be able to reveal to me through His Word my own life and my own heart and the sin that's here, not out there, but here. And it's my prayer for each of us, and it's my desire for each of us that we would take God's Word out of storage, that we would open it up, that we would read it, that we would listen carefully when it's being taught and when it's being preached. That we would submit ourselves, subject ourselves to God's word. That we would read it on our own. That we would learn it. That we would submit to it. That we would obey it. And as we do so, we will find in our own lives, we probably will have a response similar to the response that Josiah had, where he tore his clothes. Where he saw what I've become. And he repented. He repented, and God honored him and blessed him in that repentance. Part of what we learn from God's Word is not just about what we ought to do, though that's certainly the case. Not not just about who God is, though that's an enormous, enormous part, as we learn about who God really is. God's Word teaches us that and we find out surprising things about god maybe maybe where god is different than our imaginings of him or our thoughts of him that often is the case another thing we find out in god's word is who we really are what we are really like and it's often not flattering as we find that god has created us for a purpose He's created us to know Him. He's created us to reflect His glory in our lives. And we don't. We seek our own glory. We often spurn His glory. We build our own kingdom instead. God's Word is powerful. It's a prophetic vision, is the word, the concept here in uh, Proverbs 29, 18, it is God speaking to us, and we require that. Fortunately, we have that. We have God's Word right here. Each of you has it in your hand or on your phone, or you can grab the pew Bible in front of you and take that, and that can be your Bible. We have access to it, and, and the Bible teaches us a prophetic word about God, about who He is, about how we can know Him. And everything, as Pastor Woody mentioned earlier, everything that we read in in the Word points us to Christ. Everything in the Word points us to Christ. Adam's disobedience in the garden points forward to Jesus' obedience in his life and on the cross. From the very beginning to the very end. The Old Testament law that, that tells people how they should behave and that the people could never obey they could never keep it points forward to the one who would come who would indeed keep the the whole of it perfectly the bible the whole thing points to jesus himself and so this prophetic vision as we go to god's word as we study god's word as we hear god's word we need to seek christ in god's word he's there and every page points to him and even this morning we have Communion. We're, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. Did you notice what feast it was that Josiah reinstituted when they discovered the law? It was Passover. He reinstituted the feast of Passover. And Passover itself, of course, is the, the commemoration of God miraculously taking the people of Israel out of the nation of Egypt into the promised land where he he drew them out of Egypt and made them his own, where he took them out by showing himself to be stronger and more powerful and mightier than all the gods of Egypt. Passover is the commemoration of that. And Passover is a commemoration that looks back to that Passover event, but it looks forward to Jesus himself, who would be the one to redeem his people, not just from the nation of Egypt, but from every tribe and tongue, and nation, to, to make them His own, to set them free from that captivity. And what do we have here? We have the Lord's Supper, which looks back to what Christ did on the cross. And so we get to celebrate that together. We get to uh, participate in, in taking the Lord's Supper, where we, we commemorate His body and His blood given for us. Where he's the one, he is the, the Passover lamb who has made it so that we can not have death, the death that we deserve, but instead we have life, the life that we receive in Christ because the blood has been applied to the doorposts of our lives. And so we get to celebrate this together. And so if I could have the men come forward who are going to serve communion...